Bikes are a problem for capitalism, right? People love arguing about their uninformed economic opinions, and also people love to hate on cyclists. It's yeah, like the it's, perfect storm. Yeah. Welcome to Bike Talk. This is Don Ward with my co-host Nick Richard, and we're here today with a couple of guests. Our first of which is Dave Snyder from Cal Bike. Welcome to the show, Dave. It's good to see you again, as always. So today we're going to talk about AB 371, a bill that is going to impose an insurance burden on uh, shared mobility providers, including um, bike share, municipal bike share. and Municipal bike share, including like bike kitchens. Uh, really? Bike co-ops? Yeah, if they, if they rent out their bikes on, a, on an hourly basis. What is it that's that's a problem that they have to introduce this? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a tough question because we don't have a solution to the problem that's not universal healthcare. That's the solution mm. to the problem is universal mm. healthcare, and that's out of our scope. The problem is that is that sometimes some inconsiderate, reckless jerk will injure somebody else on a scooter or a bike and that inconsiderate reckless jerk won't have any insurance and the person they hit won't have any insurance or not good enough insurance if the person who's hit doesn't have insurance they're out of luck and because we live in a society that makes you individually responsible for caring for yourself if you get injured by somebody that's a problem it doesn't happen very often it's extremely rare people don't run into each other on their bikes and scooters, you know? And when it does happen, we don't have a solution for it if there's a circumstance where someone isn't covered with insurance. What the bill tries to do is to solve that problem by making the provider of the bike share service responsible for having the insurance to cover the damages in that unusual rare scenario. And that insurance doesn't exist. Uh, Nobody will want to insure a company for the damages that one of their users might cause, right? The bike share company has, has insurance to cover it. If they were to were truly required to get that insurance at a, the million dollar level that the bill is calling for, uh, it would be so expensive that it would put them out of business. You wouldn't be able to operate shared bikes and scooters at a price that is reasonable or proportionate to the actual risk that they present. The threat that we see is hard to imagine for a lot of people, I think, because it's not that the bike share programs that we see in California that are nascent, that are small, that some people are taking advantage of are under threat. It's that our entire vision of an entire state with practically free bikes all over the state for the public to use. That's where we're going with this. That's the future of bike share and scooter share. It's subsidized by public transit. It's part of public transit. You show your transit pass and you can grab a bike or you can grab a scooter and you can transfer from one to the other for the same price. If there's a low income discount for the bus, you get the same low income discount for the bike. That's going to save public transit, frankly. That's going to make it possible for people to mix public transit and the last mile solution in a way that we have not even seen. And that future is what's threatened by this bill. We're not going to be able to have a public bike share integrated with transit if we expect 
the transit agency to pay for the injuries caused by the 100% recklessness of the user. It would be like we asked taxpayers through the transit agency to pay the costs caused by an injury if somebody jumps out of the bus window, you know, and, and injures somebody or somebody shoots themselves on transit property with their own gun. We'd have to pay for the, the cost of that. If the logic of this bill were extended to public transit agencies. You're saying that it's a rare instance where somebody that's acting like a jerk would do something, I guess, malicious or something like that. Is there insurance if it's just somebody that happens to fall off the bike or it's an accident? They do. No, no, they already have insurance for that. If there's any responsibility whatsoever on the part of the bike share company, they have insurance to cover that. They're required to cover uh, $1 million insurance with $5 million aggregate a year. So they already have a lot of insurance. Let's say somebody's riding a scooter and they run into a pedestrian accidentally. If somebody on a scooter is buzzing along and hits somebody on a, you know, that's walking and that's already covered. This is for extreme cases that they're asking for insurance to be leveled up, I guess is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, if you're in a car, the minimum insurance required is 15,000. Why are they making it a million for this? Yeah, I know, right? We don't really know. Cities are starting to pose it. The background of the politics is that cities wanted to focus their efforts on getting support for Assembly Bill 550 that would have allowed automated speed safety systems that identified speeders and sent them tickets. And that bill died. And so now cities say, okay, now we can, can we work to this next threat? We can, we can move to this next one. So cities, which hadn't opposed it when it was in the assembly, are now starting to oppose it. I don't think it's going to pass the legislature, but I'm worried because, you know, not so much that it would kill what we have now, because what we have now is pathetic. Uh, it's good, but we need to do so much better. Uh, it'll kill what we envision for the future. That's what upsets me. Yeah. Okay. So the next. We're just getting started, right? We're just getting started with this. I, I think the potential yeah. for bike share is huge. I think it's huge. Yeah, totally. It should be ubiquitous everywhere. There should be share bikes everywhere, right? Ubiquitous share bikes and, and share scooters. Ubiquitous and cheap. Ubiquitous and cheap. I guess the bill is on its way to the, uh, sen- uh, let's see, Senate committees on ju- judiciary and insurance. So there's yeah. a committee curiously, on judiciary and insurance. Curiously, yeah. not to a Senate Transportation Committee, which I I don't get. Mm. Okay, so do we need to be making phone calls like? um... Yes, we're sending out uh, action alerts this weekend, actually. So if you're on our list, you will get uh, that action alert. If you're not on our list, get on our list by going to calbike.org and signing up. Calbike.org, sign up for the list. AB 371, we want that to die. And, see share bikes and scooters flourish we're gonna have a guest in the future from caltrans i wanted to get your pick your brain a little bit about what we should be talking to that guest about first thought in my mind was the rumble strips on the side of the highways but i'm sure that's something you guys have been talking about for a while then there's the chip seal issue let me let me let me do a praise sandwich let me give you one (laughs) extremely important positive change that they're making. Uh, And let me give you a couple of failures that I would love for you to ask them about. 
And then they closed with another positive change at Caltrans because Caltrans, I, I got to say that I've never seen them this good. They've never been as attentive to complete streets, for example, as they are now. With the director, Tokes Omishakin, who came from Tennessee, of all places, being really focused on walking and biking and allowing his deputy director, Jeannie Ward-Waller, who used to work for the California Bicycle Coalition, is now head of planning for Caltrans, hire a team of ardent advocates for bicycling and walking and allowing her to rewrite the policy for their consideration of including biking and walking safety features in all of their projects, the complete streets idea that you should always make a street complete when you touch it. They've done amazingly well at changing the process that the Caltrans engineers, including the old school engineers who don't give a crap about biking and walking, they just want to make it easy to drive. They've done a really good job at changing that process so that those old school engineers and, and some of the district leaders who might be a little slow on the uptake done a great job at changing the process so that they will now consider biking and walking. So kudos to them. Fantastic. Everything that we had in our complete street Senate bill uh, that was vetoed by the governor, they are implementing on their own mm. with one important exception. And this is the first of the two problems. The process that they have to ask their district leaders to consider biking and walking is very good. If those leaders choose not to do it, they have to send a memo to headquarters. They have to justify it. Headquarters will push back. But if in the end, the decision is made not to make a safety improvement, they have not written in any kind of public recourse. It remains an internal decision. They've done a great mm -hmm. job internally, but they have not exposed themselves to a public scrutiny uh, if we don't like their decision. They, they've done a good job on the front end of in helping people get involved in the decision-making process. So they feel like we're talking to everybody, you know, everybody gets to say and listen to everybody. And we have a process that forces us to think about these things. And that's all brand new, which is all very good. But if they make the wrong decision in the end, uh, we've got no recourse. Mm. Uh, they've not forced a public hearing about it, which is what we wanted and is what our Senate bill required. That's a failing of their complete streets policy. And I'd love for you to ask them about that. Like how come they don't wanna have public recourse if we don't like their decision? Okay, um, I'll note that. Then the second thing that <laughs> they're completely failing on is in highway design and street design. The highway design manual that the engineers pay attention to when they design a street was a darn good design manual for 1950. It is so out of date. The Federal Highway Administration, the Trump Federal Highway Administration, I might say, not that the president makes that much difference. Under President Trump, the Federal Highway Administration came out with a document to give guidance to local agencies to help them choose what kind of bikeway uh, they should put on a street. You know, depending, you look at the conditions of the speed and the width, et cetera, and like what kind of bikeway does it need? Caltrans watered it down, watered it down from the FHWA. And they, and they watered it down so that a street that has a speed limit of 35 miles per hour or maybe 30 miles per hour, which means speeds of 35, 
that it's okay to have that be a shared lane, that a reasonable facility on a street like that is a uh, Shero. And that was a Caltrans watering down of the federal guidance. And why in the world Caltrans, which is pretending to be uh, a progressive organization that cares about bikes more than the average state in the country would go worse than the United States government is beyond me, unless the answer is that the design division at Caltrans is not with the program. And then I'll close with the praise, give them a chance to uh, you know, take credit on this. Uh, with Toke's leadership and the, the rest of the staff, they have really done a good job of, of at least talking about and beginning to address the impact of structural racism and economic inequity uh, in, within the agency and in our society as caused by our transportation system. They don't shy away from talking about it, and they're doing a, a decent job internally of addressing it. And I think that uh, they're one of the leaders in the country at, at admitting that our transportation system has screwed people of color and we ought to try to figure out what we can do to reverse that. So uh, they- I wonder they, if that would lead to them being less likely to widen freeways from this point on. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was just reading a Streets blog article about the 71 freeway is gonna be widened. It's like, there's three different freeways that they're still continuing to move forward on widening in our area down here in Los Angeles. So it's pretty frustrating. Well, David, thank thanks for uh, giving us an update, you know, for folks out there that want to sign on, you should really get to calbike.org and just sign on to their mailing list anyways. But um, for folks that want to oppose AP 371, hop on to calbike.org and get on the list. And that's, that's our action for, the next couple of weeks, right? We, we got we got a bunch of stuff going on. There's that. There's the e-bike budget allocation for a affordability program. There's the bicycle safety stop. And there's the jaywalking repeal. Oh yeah, the bicycle safety stop. How's That's that going? The next couple of weeks. Um, okay. More we think it's going well. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's got a tough hearing at Senate Transportation now. So. Okay. You have to you have to jam on it. That's the okay. That, that's in eleven days. Okay, we'd love to have you back on and get an update on that. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. All right, that was Dave Snyder with Cal Bike. Next up, we have Chris Jones, whose Twitter handle is pickledentropy. That's an interesting word. I don't know exactly what that means. Pickled Am entropy. I reading it wrong? Pickled entropy. Okay, duh. All right, Chris Jones, welcome to the show. Sorry, Thank I screwed you. up your Twitter handle. Well, I think your it's... recent tweet said capitalism doesn't like bicycles because they're cheap and they don't require constant replenishment of resources applied by multi-billion dollar corporations. I agree. But yet I still love bikes. And that's one big reason that I love bikes because I don't have to spend thousands of dollars on a bicycle every year. Like I, I love not spending car. money on a car. Yes. Welcome to the show. Um, you know, let's let's get into it. So, you know, bikes are bikes are a problem for capitalism, right? I think so. I think because our government and big capitalism is so intertwined, and car companies make so much money, they push for laws that make us use cars more than bicycles, and make us reliant on. The products that they sell. Yeah, it's kind of insane once you realize 
you know, like I was into bikes for a long time and then you started to talk about planning and land use and, and you mm-hmm. start to realize that the way we plan our cities forces us practically to drive cars, to spend, you know, an average of eight to $10,000 a year, according to AAA on cars to get around. We're, we're forced to do this. And that is upsetting to me. <laughs> like, yeah, it should be upsetting not only to communists, but it should be upsetting to libertarians, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and socialists and so forth. So what's going on? Well, I think when you accommodate cars, you pretty much have to be car centric because cars just take up so much space. You can't, it's hard to be like halfway into cars. And it's funny you said that about libertarians because there were a lot of, um, there were people from all flavors of economic systems in responses to that tweet, but libertarians were not happy with the tweet. And I'm not sure self-proclaimed Twitter libertarians know what libertarianism is i think it's uh, leave me alone i don't want to pay taxes <laughs> um but yeah i think it's it's a huge waste of money for everybody but we're just so used to it that and i also read somewhere that like 50 percent of sales tax revenue from cities comes from car sales so cities don't really want to do anything about it either i'm not sure on that number but it was a surprisingly large amount huh that would be interesting. I kind of doubt that, but it, it's probably not fifty. But it was a large amount. Nick, what can other... you um, can you fact check that real quick, Nick? Oh, <laughs> let's, let's find out how much car sales revenue or car related car. Okay, yeah. car related. Yeah, car yeah. related. You're right because including gas and gas mechanics repair right. shops. They're, yeah, yep. This is a huge so, part of our economy. They have a financial incentive to promote things that raise taxes. Uh, Okay. So one thing I see is in total, the auto industry contributed some 91.5 billion to state government tax revenues and more than 43 billion to federal government. But I mean, that's just one random thing I see. Hmm. Well, now that is in comparison to other industries. Another one says 110 billion. There's, there's so many jobs. I mean, okay, so all that money, that's all evaporated wealth. That's not mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not like we're throwing money in, into an asset that, uh, you know, like land or something that we're going to be able to pass down to our kids or something. Like right. That. We're, we're literally evaporating that money. We're- you buy a $40,000 car in 10 years, you've evaporated 35000 of those dollars into nothing right and i think it's worse than just evaporating because we're actually making future generations lives worse right with climate change change and land use trash the amount of trash that cars become these new cars that i'm seeing uh with all the electronics and all the software and all the bullshit it's like is that you gonna be able to support that software or that system that computer system mm-hmm. in 10 years my computer that's 10 years old is not even 
uh, is barely even functioning at this point. Like now we've got an entire car that's dependent on that computer. Mm -hmm. And in 10 years, that computer is going to be garbage. They're not going to make an upgrade for that. So your whole car is going to be garbage. Meanwhile, I was thinking about my bike today. I think I'm wondering if I'll have this for the rest of my life. Like I'll be riding this same bike. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's not good for the economy. Nick. It's not. <laughs> hey, Chris, you you one of your follow up tweets or several of them were about the are the things you've heard in response. So this was a viral tweet. Like yeah, I had uh, just shy of a million impressions. So. My most viral. I think it was the perfect viral tweet in retrospect because people love arguing about their their economic ideas, their uninformed economic opinions, and also people love to hate on cyclists. It's like yeah, the it's, perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. And what? And then you said, like, you know, it's a viral video uh, tweet when people start debating Marx. But yes. It, yeah. Has anyone called you Hitler yet? Or I don't do think we go full. Do we go full um, internet on them? I did upset some furries at one point. <laughs> uh, so what you said, I was mocking some of the responses here, and one of them was people were saying I was ableist for promoting psych promoting bicycles, which now I'm completely able bodied, but I don't think that's true. I think cyclists because disability is a wide broad spectrum and i think bicycles can benefit a lot of those yeah um, there's a lot of folks that are able to cycle um who are disabled like uh, mm -hmm. uh i forget the name of the uh the org but there's a uh, military veterans org that my friend uh organizes for and um i mean they have cyclists they're, they're, they don't have legs or they don't have arms mm -hmm. and they're still moving. So uh, when I was in, when I lived in Denver, there was a man on my bus sometimes who hobbled around on a cane, but he also rode a bike. Like he could barely get into the bus with his cane, but he zipped around on his bike, which he like wedged his cane into. He was like Yoda, like when Yoda's, hobble around with his cane and then when he starts fighting with his lightsaber he's doing flips he was just like that guy i mean and now with e-bikes becoming more mm -hmm. and more popular um i don't know if that argument holds water and then the fact that a car itself is ableist i mean my my mom at a certain point could not drive a car mm -hmm. um, you know that it's just ridiculous well so that argument is twitter is not designed to uh foster good faith arguments in the first place so oh so what other um uh, what other like anti anti-capitalist comments did you hear uh, people were you know the criticizing capitalism but also like i inherently participate in capitalism because i live in the u.s that's a classic one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that you shouldn't criticize if you're in if you haven't totally somehow managed to right. not be part of it. Um there was a lot of liberals are all communists um <laughs> from a certain demographic. 
Now, the thing about bikes too is it's not really a partisan issue. I've definitely argued with Democrats uh, who are anti-bike, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, our city council here in Los Angeles is arguably anti-bike and they're all Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's just a couple people on there that really get and understand mobility um, when it comes to bikes and pedestrians. So it's, there's a lot of gaslighting around our transportation system and uh, it doesn't fall on partisan lines in my opinion. Yeah. Well, capitalism doesn't either. (laughs) Another criticism I got was people were, People were saying, oh, it's not capitalism's fault. It's the government's fault for taking so much money from capitalism. It's like, that's just capitalism's fault with extra steps. So they're not even talking about bikes anymore at this point. They're just talking about uh, capitalism and yeah. communism. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's try to form the capitalist argument for cycling. So if we're going to live in a capitalist society where I'm pursuing capital and assets, um, why are we designing our places to drain me of that ability, like to drain my wealth just to conduct business? Like if we were running a warehouse Mm -hmm. and somebody told me, okay, we're going to design this system it's going to cost us millions of dollars. Um, we're going to transport people by nuclear powered hovercrafts around the warehouse. And I go, why don't people just walk around? Um, the person arguing for nuclear powered hovercrafts would be seen as insane in, in terms of capitalism, but yet. When it well, they might to, also be the person benefiting from selling those and building those hovercrafts. But I, as the person that owns the warehouse, why would I want to design my warehouse so inefficiently i guess that's what i'm saying yeah but that's not efficient people who were right but i think it is i think cars are efficient for capitalism because it's the capitalists as in the people at the top gaining the most capital are benefiting from cars the people working for big oil the people working for the big insurance companies those are the capitalists. So I would argue that everyone capitalism. else is just, yeah, well. There's a few cronies that are in the oil and the automotive industry that are benefiting, but everybody else has to spend all this money. It's just stuck, yeah. That seems to be where we are. And with the widening wealth gap and with our land use patterns, we're kind of stuck. Yeah, and that's another thing, too, is like the land use patterns, you you know, with parking requirements, it's like we're really killing a lot of small business by Mm -hmm. requiring them to have more parking space, more square footage dedicated to parking space than retail space. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it puts a lot of small businesses out that could exist, that can't exist. And then you've got your Walmarts and these big giant corporations that can 
afford to lobby the government for a tax break to build on the outside of town mm-hmm. with a giant parking lot and gobble up all these, you know, compete against all these small businesses in the walkable areas or what could potentially be a walkable area. Um, throw all those people out of business. Yeah, I think that's another form of crony capitalism. Yeah. And the yeah, getting the politicians to sign off on a big deal that gets lots of attention. And it ends up not being worth it for the city because we'll build we'll build a bunch of infrastructure that leads to this Walmart that's on the mm-hmm. outskirts of town. Um, there's a bunch of traffic that it draws, a bunch of maintenance that's required. And then the building itself is a piece of crap. It's just like a cinder block you know, box that in 30 years is going to be abandoned and we're going to have to figure out what to do with that. It's going to cost more money. And I guess that kind of serves capitalism in a way. Someone will have to buy it yeah, and it's, pay people to rebuild it. It's not sustainable, <laughs> but we keep doubling down. That's, um, is there any hope? Uh, I think the children are our future. I see Gen Z. Um, I think I see a lot of social activism. I see a lot of hate towards capitalism with them. And I see, I think, you know, the circle of life will continue and the status quo will die off. And I think we'll, it'll get turned around, but it's going to be a while. Yeah, I always think about the, uh, the the grids that we've already built, the traffic grids and the street grids that we already um, the street grids that we already built, or the street not grids. Yeah, like those street grids are they going to be with us for hundreds of years, hundred years, like sprawling street grids, like suburban the sprawl, loops and lollipops and cul-de-sacs and. That wide, wide residential streets, mm-hmm. um, really spread out development. Big um, lots. Yeah, these are going to be with us for at least 100 years, mm-hmm. probably. I mean, once you lay down a street, it's probably pretty difficult to shrink that yeah. grid. So we, we may just be... We maybe just be doomed, right? <laughs> <laughs> Throw in the towel, guys. It's done. Uh, oh well, I I think you two have a different perspective on that. But uh, w- we got another uh, guest on, Don. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you, Chris, so much. It was my pleasure. Um, you can hang out if you want. I think I will. Do you want to? Do you want to like read the script, Don? Sure. So less than one week after Los Angeles Metro Bike Share workers officially filed with the National Labor Relations Board to form a union, their employer, Bicycle Transit Systems, began implementing weekly mandatory anti-union meetings. So today we have the Transport Workers Union Organizing Director, Angelo Cucuza. Did I say that? Angelo, yeah. Angelo, okay, is with us to talk about how Union Bicycle Transit Systems, um, which receives public funding to operate LA Metro bike share system is attempting to use these captive audience, quote unquote, meetings 
to intimidate workers into reversing their decision to form a union. Welcome to the show, Angelo. Thanks for having me. Um, you'll, you'll guess from my accent that I'm not um, in California. Um, actually, in, in my bedroom here up in Carmel, Carmel New York, uh, I'm a resident of Brooklyn, New York, but I am the organizing director for the National Transport Workers Union of America. Um, and our union has successfully organized over 12 bike share properties all across the country. And we were able to form a national bike share local uh, about four months ago. And so the workers in Los Angeles heard about this uh, union organizing that was taking place. We're the only union in the United States that is organizing bike share workers. Um, and so they reached out to us. They were interested in forming a union and we, um, we went out to California, myself and two other, two other organizers, worker organizers. I myself am a baggage handler by trade. Uh, I worked my entire career at JFK um, and uh, along with another bike share worker and another airline uh, baggage handler, we met with the committee of workers out in LA that are employed by BTS, bike, bike transit systems, uh, who perform services for LA Metro. And, um, you know, we got the committee going and, and it was completely worker led. And now they've, um, they've gotten an overwhelming majority of authorization cards signed. We filed at the National Labor Relations Board, as you mentioned earlier. And no sooner did we file, the company started these, um, what we like to call as captive audience meetings, which are mandatory meetings in which all the workers must attend and listen to whatever it is that the employer has to say about the union organizing drive. So in LA, is that Metro itself that's hosting these meetings or is this a contractor of Metro? So they are a contractor of Metro that uh, rely on public funds uh, for all of their financing. And um, it is my understanding that the bike share system is incorporated directly into the transit system itself in Los Angeles. Um, the bicycles all have the insignia of the LA Metro system. However, yes. these, work, these workers are employed by a company called Bike Transit Systems, which is based in Philadelphia. This company also runs the bike share systems in Philadelphia and in Las Vegas. So in, in, you know, in the world of Metro, I think pretty much all of their jobs, except for maybe the white collar jobs are unionized, like the bus, the bus drivers, the mechanics and so forth all have unions. This would make sense that the bike share folks would have a union as well. Yeah, you would think so. In fact, that is true. Um, the two predominant unions at LA Metro are uh, SMART and the Amalgamated Transit Union. In fact, these workers, when they first started out uh, seeking to form a union, they met with SMART and SMART led them in our direction because they knew that we were the only union out there that, uh, well, AFL-CIO based union that is organizing bike share workers across the country. So what's typical of one of these meetings? Like, like they're not supposed to, right? Isn't it illegal to? Uh, no. So uh, captive, yeah, captive audience meetings are legal, currently legal in the United States. If the PRO Act were ever to pass, uh, captive audience meetings would be abolished overnight. Um, they become illegal. Um, um, unfortunately, you're being paid by the employer. And therefore, as long as you're being paid, um, if they obligate you to sit in a meeting, you are obligated to, to be in that meeting. Gotcha. 
and they're just sort of saying unions do they directly say you know you shouldn't be forming a union or are they trying to dance around it a little bit or they 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 definitely dance around it we we were fortunate enough to listen in on the on the first captive audience meeting which took place on wednesday um and i was kind of shocked uh and basically appalled because this is a company that this is now we're talking about bicycle transit systems bts not la metro this is a company that prides itself on its progressive um policies and um, you know all they were using all of the right terms uh, as far as claiming that this was a personal decision of the workers however everything was however um, and the CEO of the company Alice Cohen uh, went out of her way to talk about her own personal reasons why she doesn't believe that a union is in the best interest of the workers talking about having to have you know, break through the glass ceiling as a female executive in the bike share world. Um, and it just struck me that while she's having these conversations with, with the workers, that she would not see why it is that the workers are doing this. I mean, the workers are trying to form a collective voice in the workplace. Um, and this is not only about pay. Obviously, pay is always a, a factor when it comes to unionizing, right? But this is more about protections and the basic uh, fundamentals that are incorporated into a collective bargaining agreement. We at the TWU, our purpose is to help the workers get to the table with the employer and then the workers decide what it is that they want to negotiate for, right? Um, She had it all backwards. She was basically making it look like we were the third party outsiders that were coming in and invading this wonderful utopian uh, workplace well, if it was a wonderful utopian workplace, we would not have received an overwhelming majority of authorization cards to unionize. Um, so did she come out and say, don't join the union? In a roundabout way, yes. Is, does uh, BTS currently have a healthcare plan for their workers? They or do. a good healthcare plan? Is it, is it good? Or is it's, it... it's it's decent, and look, uh-huh. all we're looking all we're looking to do for the well, I should say all the workers are looking to do is to codify um, what's you know the positive things of the employee handbook, and you know one of the things that the employer tried to do was take the collective bargaining agreement that we have in six major cities and compare it to the company's policy handbook but leave out the fact that on the very first page of the policy handbook, there's a disclaimer there that says that the company has the right to modify or change anything that's in the policy handbook at their discretion without advance notice. Um, So they have a good healthcare plan. Let's get it into a contract so that it's guaranteed. So our theme was capitalism versus bikes. So this seemed like perfect, but I don't know that, that unionizing is, I mean, I know it's not anti-capitalist, but can you can you explain that to somebody who might be confused? That unionizing is anti-capitalist? No, that it's not, that it's not. That it's not, no, it's not anti-capitalist. I mean, at the end of the day, the one thing that we want to see, that the workers want to see is for BTS to continue to get the contract to provide services in LA Metro so that they can get a paycheck and they can feed their families, right? That's what this is all about. It, this is not about bankrupting BTS or trying to drive them out of the city of Los Angeles. 
we want a, you know, the workers want a productive relationship with the employer, but they also want to sort of even the playing field. Um, so is it, is it, this is, I, I don't see how anyone can say that wanting to join a union or being part of a union is an anti-capitalist thing. I mean, uh, like I said, I was a baggage handler at, um, at a major airline for over 28 years. My goal was to feed my family and to get my three, my three young boys through college and not have to come out on the other side with, you know, tons of debt. And I was able to do that by way of my union contract that guaranteed my wages, guaranteed my, my, my healthcare benefits for my diabetic son and all these other things, these protections that made it possible for me not to worry about being an at-will employee. That's what you this comes down to. With, with what I'm kind of poking around or throwing around in my, in my thoughts is, is like the, bu the bus drivers um, at Metro, they are employed directly by Metro in their, I believe they're Teamsters, part of that union or a union like the Teamsters or associated mm -hmm. with it. it. You know, it's like Metro is hiring this, this company to do the bike share and it almost strikes me like metro are you serious about bike share like why isn't metro just simply uh creating a division for bike share and then you know once these employees start working for metro it seems like you know that's a union outfit like everybody there's in a union why why shouldn't these folks also be hired directly by a Metro and, and just, it, you know, I don't know if that's possible or if that's something that might be a side effect if they unionize. Well, I think if you look at the history of major transit systems across the country, I'll, I'll take the one that's in my city, which is in New York city and the TWU, the transport workers union represents every single bus operator and subway uh, worker in New York city. Okay. Um, Many moons ago, the system was private, okay? And it became unionized under, private, under a privatized system and it got grandfathered in. You look at all of the major transit systems across the country or the large majority of them, they at one point were all similar to bike share. They were all private systems that, you know, the purpose of a transit system is to provide a service, not to make a profit, okay? Yes, yes. Why they've taken this path and basically tried to redo what failed in the past, I can't say. All I can say is our responsibility as a major industrial trade union is to help workers that want to organize, whether they're in the private sector or in the public sector. I can't speak as to why the transit authorities are going about it this way. This is what they're doing. Um, there are some success stories out there. If you look at New York City, the city bike system, which we also represent every blue collar worker at city bike, is now the largest system in the world, right? And the system is thriving um, because it's popular. It's good for the environment. It, it's got every, it, it's all positive, right? I can't say what's going to happen 10 years from now whether or not these folks are going to continue to be part of a private, you know, a private entity or at a certain point, the private entities walk away. One thing is for sure, bike share systems will remain. 
And so if in the end they become part of the public transit system and these workers get incorporated into those public transit systems and they get those benefits and those rates of pay and all of that, that's fantastic. Yeah, I would think that would be the goal at some point is to sort of get this middleman company out and and just get absorbed into Metro and make it a serious, you know, arm of of Metro. I don't I don't it's kind, well, of, kind of curious why they're doing that. You know, that's kind of above my pay grade, but if in the interim we can get those workers in those private systems on par or close to the wages benefits and the wages benefits and overall uh, overall working conditions of the folks on the on the public se- sector side, we're going to do that. That's that's our that is part of our long term goal here. So when is the when is the the vote? Is there so when, how's this going down? So here's the thing: we we would really like to see voluntary recognition of of the bargaining unit, right? Um, We've had success in other cities um, such as Portland, where we were able to work with the employer. Uh, all we needed to do is show the employer physically that we had the majority of the cards and the, and the employer voluntarily recognized the union, right? We'd love to see that. And that's what we would like to have happen here. Um, we've, we've asked that our attorney that we've hired on behalf of the workers in Los Angeles has made that request. Unfortunately, it's fallen upon deaf ears. The company has continued to take this path of, you know, planning future captive audience meetings, uh, a la Amazon, Alabama. Um, and so we were hopeful that we can get a vote done before the end of the month, but the company is already looking to push as far. They, 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 we, we had a meeting scheduled with the NLRB, a hearing, if you will, at the end of the month, the company's asked for a postponement. We're okay with that. We're hopeful that by the middle of July, if it does come to an actual vote, we can get it done in the warehouses uh, by mid-July. Okay. All right, Angelo Cucuza, thank you. Um, with the Transit Workers Union, the organizing director of the Transit Workers Union, we really appreciate you coming on. And you know, we wanna follow this story. Um, so we'd love to have you back. Um, I guess mid-July is, it would be a good time to have you back and kind of get a report on what's going on. Sure. I would love to, you know, at that point, I think it would be safe for us to maybe even bring on some of the workers. And you can hear directly from these un- unseen essential workers that have been working throughout the pandemic in Los Angeles. Unfortunately, um, for fear of retaliation and all those other wonderful things that come in the early stages of, an, of a union organizing drive, it's probably best they don't come on now, but um, down the road, absolutely. And any any sort of support you can you can give these workers out in Los Angeles, we'd really I know they would really appreciate it. We'd appreciate it. And uh, you know, if you're able to reach out to the employer, ask them to do the right thing and voluntarily recognize this union. Is there a social media contact that we can publicize to kind of you know put it out there so people can get involved? Sure. So. Um, our hashtag, our handle on Twitter is transport worker. Um, the local that this, this unit would fall into, which is the national bike share local there, that's local 320. That's their handle local at local 320. Um, they've posted some, some information about this organizing drive. Uh, they announced when we filed with the NLRB. So, um, and then, you know, 
Bike Transit Systems also has their own uh, Twitter feed. I don't know the handle offhand. But, um, you know, we're trying to get some political support. We, we, we have some of the uh, supervisors and um, city council members that sit on the LA Metro board that we've been having you know, conversations with them and they look like they'll be jumping on also. Um, yeah. Have you, spoken to, have you spoken to Mike Bonin? So we have spoken to Bonin and we've also spoken to um, a supervisor by the name of Han. And um, both of those individuals are very supportive. And I think in the next few days, you might see some, some public support on their part. Awesome. Very yeah, good. Bonin's a great guy. Bond's great on this stuff. Yeah, we so. actually had a, we had a, um, a meeting yesterday, uh, a Zoom meeting. I wasn't on the call, but the workers were speaking directly to Bonin or Bonin's transportation mm. staff. So, the, like I said, they've been very receptive. Um, you know, this is a publicly funded entity, and to watch this private employer try and fight this um, while claiming to be such a progressive company is really disheartening. Yeah. Well, thank you, Angela. All right. You got it. We'll, yeah, we'll talk soon. You. Thanks for the cool. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to have you on and get a couple of workers on after, you know, in July after the vote. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Just reach out. Okay. Thank you. All man. right. Take care. Good night. Good night. All right. Well, so we've, we've had some, I mean, you know, this, this is the, this, this does go into our bikes, you know, capitalist communist sort of conversation because it's like you know when we're talking to dave about this insurance issue we don't have universal health care that's why we have to argue about stupid shit like insurance for riding scooters and bicycles and stuff mm -hmm. and um here we have you know workers that have to unionize so they're not getting screwed over by this private company that's skimming profit when really it should be Metro that just creates a division that's bike share and that's it. And you just have a public, uh, you know, a public workers instead of hmm. this extra layer, I guess, that's, you know, that's capitalism. Yeah, well, that's I, like we need, we need to have these middlemen that skim money off of us. That's privatization. The, it's a metro because metro is is metro a public agency as far as i understand metro is a public agency we're paying metro with our tax dollars yeah they're they're public yes i think they might be kind of like some kind of Qua hybrid quasi quasi um like the like the ladwp well i don't know about that i've heard that they're also like a quasi public entity which i don't know what that means but Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? I, yeah, I think I agree with you that hey. about privatization can just suck money out of the coffers of the taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to like, you know, it's like we need to put money into the public realm and it's like, okay, just put it directly to the people instead of filtering it through these private organizations. It's just like, we allow this to happen in, in so many different sectors of society, like healthcare. We, we have these mm -hmm. private insurance companies that are getting paid, subsidized by the federal government through Obamacare. 
to just exist and tell us that we can't have this procedure or that procedure, make it hard to get care. And then, it, you know, we have these insane deductibles and it's like, why are we doing it? And we're spending money to subsidize this. It, it mm-hmm. drives me bananas. Well, yeah, we're giving so much money to private companies. Yeah, so here's another case where they we're hiring this private company to do bike share and they won't even allow their workers to unionize. It's ridiculous. So I guess if uh, people are, people could take all this conversation and further the conspiracy that bike riders are more about communism than anything else. <laughs> Well, no, but bike riders are about beer and like veganism and sex. What else? <laughs> big, big thighs. Well, yeah. Strong thighs, not these spindly legs that capitalism produces. No, no, no capitalism chicken legs. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I guess that's the wrap for our show. Um, bike talk today. It's, uh, we're a little past our time, but uh, we want to thank uh, all of our guests, including you, Chris. Thanks for coming on. It was my pleasure. Let I'm me see if it. I can get this Twitter handle right. Pickled Entropy. Yes. Okay. So that's um, Chris's handle. Um, I. What's that mean, Chris? Well, entropy is the natural tendency towards chaos that everything has everything falls apart if you don't maintain it and pickling it is just trying to keep everything in order so Mm. it was a phrase i read in a book that lit my brain up and i decided it should be my everything handle (laughs) okay cool well we will post the uh the tweet that went viral on our uh, podcast link Cool. And uh, if you want to, if you want to jump in and join the, what is it? 1 million people that have participated or uh, seen retweeted? it. Yeah. Seen it. Okay. If you want to join the, the fun, uh, we'll put the link on our, on our uh, SoundCloud. So you're right. at pickled entropy. Is there any other uh, social media hits that you want to put out there for people to contact you? Mm, not right now. Okay. Twitter's good. I'm going to okay, be, cool. be doing in the future, but I don't have anything right now. Okay, cool. All right, well, congratulations on going viral. You know, <laughs> well, thank you. It's not always a good thing, I guess. But... It's good <laughs> yeah. to get out of your Twitter pro-like circle jerk bubble sometimes. I, I agree. I think that bike Twitter, I can feel it, and all the other Twitters, I can feel it. It like evolves. Like, I, I mean, it is a choir and it's a bubble, mm-hmm. but you know, some things that grow in the bubble could escape. I think that's true. Yeah. I like um, to believe that's true. So I'll keep tweeting. Right on. Keep on tweeting. I'll jump in there. Keep on <laughs> be tweeting. Wow. And with that, I think we do you have our there. (laughs) All right. Let's um, let's take it away. Chris, thanks for being on the show. Everybody. Till next week.
my way And transportation shows I care Every turn of the pedal cleans the air Green in the green, I'm saving the planet Just like my friends Dale, Sean, Toby, and Janet No greenhouse gas, a tiny carbon footprint up your ass I'm on a motherfucking bike Thanks for listening to this episode of Bike Talk. If you want to hear more, go to kpfk.org, navigate to programs, and choose Bike Talk. On the Bike Talk page, click on the archives link to play or download shows posted in the last four months. Go to biketalk.com and copy or click on the RSS link to subscribe. Our Twitter handle is BikeTalkPFK. On Facebook, we are Bike Talk. You can become friends and join our group. 